five, four, three, two, one. Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to the commentary track for Ash vs. Evil Dead. My name is Sam Raimi, and I'm the director of the motion picture Evil Dead, Evil Dead 2, Army of Darkness, and now this first episode of Ash vs. Evil Dead. With me today in the studio in Los Angeles, California, is my brother, Ivan Raimi. Hello, everyone. This is Ivan Raimi. I'm Sam's brother, one of the writers of the show, one of the creators and co-executive producer and frequent collaborator and wiser older brother of Sam. And hi, I'm Rob Tappert, and I'm the old man of the group. I'm one of the executive producers and have been on the franchise since the beginning, uh, way back when. Ladies and gentlemen, I'm Bruce Campbell. Thanks for joining us. I play Ash in Ash vs. Evil Dead. You know, Sam... I have a question to you. Poor segue. Um, how did this come to be? Because these were movies before, and we haven't had one in 24 years. Well, as you know, and Rob and Ivan know, Ivan and I wrote Army of Darkness, and like you say, it was like 1991 when we were shooting that picture. And you and I and Rob and Ivan had a great time working on it, but uh, it didn't do tremendously at the box office. And so there was, wasn't an instant uh, groundswell to make a sequel to that picture. But we loved the character, and um, we loved the series ourselves, but there wasn't a lot of fans, and the Internet was pretty non-existent at that time. But you found out through the conventions that you went through that there was a fan base out there, and they seemed not to die, but rather, as you remember, to grow. Every year, there'd be a few hundred more, and the word of the movies are, was spreading through DVD and through now television and cable. And the fan base actually grew after the films were finished. Um, so there was a, a slight demand. And as you remember, Rob, yourself, and Ivan and I would speak occasionally. Are we going to make another Evil Dead movie? Right, because you guys were noodling ideas, us. weren't you? You had, you had a couple of feature ideas. We had a lot of ideas we wanted to do for an Evil Dead 4. took us in a lot of different directions. But we ended up not settling on any one. We had so many different stories we wanted to tell. And then I think we had the idea from Rob that we could do a lot more with television. Well, when Sam and I and Bruce, we did the remake of Evil Dead, directed by Fetty Alvarez and... Um, after that came out, we met with one of the executives we had worked with, and we were talking about doing a sequel to that, and he said, well, I don't actually think you should do a sequel. I think you should do a TV show. And at that time, I thought he was just nuts, and it didn't really make sense. But in thinking about it over time, and if Bruce was going to come back, um, suddenly you go, well, there is a version of this. So I knew that Sam and Ivan had been working on Evil Dead 4, and we we talked about the possibility of it as a television show um, and bending it to fit that format. And we were really thinking about Evil Dead for what it would be and what was happening to this character so many years later. We were thinking about it. Nay, I would say we were haunted by it. <laughs> well, I could finish, but I gotta be quick. Ah! 
Ivan, you and I wrote a lot of different versions of uh, Evil Dead as a feature in the in the years after Army of Darkness. Right. We'd get 20 pages into one draft, realize it was uh, not good, do another five pages a different direction. Bruce is a documentary filmmaker. I remember one of them was capturing his own journey uh, <laughs> through life. I remember we we wrote one version of, we started to write one version of Evil Dead 4 where... Um, Bruce traveled cross-country to sell his documentary in a car to explain the importance of it, his story being told. Yeah, no one no one thought it was a very important story, his story, except him. Correct. He, he was like some egomaniac. He's a Johnny Appleseed of horror. <laughs> yes. And then there was another version we wrote of the Evil Dead 4 where we picked up literally where Evil Dead Army of Darkness left off, and that is it had two endings. The original ending that we had designed that ends in uh, blasted English future that Dino De Laurentiis released to Japan and some foreign territories. And also, Universal Pictures domestically had us redo the ending, a happier ending, with Ash back in the S-Mart. So we wrote an Evil Dead 4 that followed both realities simultaneously. We're going to be following two Bruces, one in the future and simultaneously cross-cutting to Bruce here in the, in the present. Right. And we realized we have really lost our mind now, <laughs> and we must stop. But we were working on yet another version when Ivan and I started to realize this is really expensive, we don't think, uh, and we talked with Rob and you, Bruce, about this. Ash versus the machines. Yeah. We didn't think that there'd be enough money for, for the big production we had planned. And Rob, that's when at a barbecue at my house, maybe, at, maybe in 2013, you said, maybe we can do this in television. That's right. And, um, and what was the tricky thing is that... Um, Having worked in our dramas and done a bunch of hours, I always thought that this show would best be served and the content best be served in a half hour. And that's probably because most of the viewers who appreciate what we do have a very short attention span. That's right. I knew that. They wanted the jokes. They wanted the horror. Now, and Rob, I think it's bearing true. Most of the complaints I hear about the show is that it's too short. And I think that's good. Yeah. Always leave him wanting more. That's uh, uh, Sam Raimi's mother used to say that all the time. I think so, too. And I think it allows for the pace the pace of comedy, too. Uh, hour-long comedies are few and far between. Uh, excuse me, horror. Comedy horror. This is a callback to Evil Dead 1. <laughs> Anyways, <laughs> I always like that show. Okay, but then what's the reality, though? That was a fine notion. Sam, were you mortified when that notion came up to make this as a, a television show? You're your darling, your baby project? No, I thought... Did it seem foreign? I thought it was great because uh, I realized the audience will only have to take you in little doses. Oh, nice. Yeah, when Rob <laughs> said, we, Rob said, oh, a television will allow us to explore more character, we said, what character? He's just <laughs> a lame-brained, boasting But I But this is our chance now to flesh Ash out, to become a, 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 a modern citizen to deal with modern problems and interact with other people. So he's coming out of his shell. I said to Rob, that's crazy. And he goes, well, there might be some money in it. I said, well, you know, that's interesting, actually. <laughs> you know what? Um, I think what some, one unspoken thing is that although Bruce Campbell is the king of B-movie stars, um, he had also become a very, very successful television personality. And I don't mean the lead in the show, but the strongest supporting man you can have. 
even though he had Briscoe County. In American and, television. Yeah, in American television. No, international television. He'd been very successful in the Xena and Hercules. Burn um, Notice. Right. Jack of all trades. He had a lead role in that. But it's almost like it was all set up in Bruce's DNA to take, make a combination of his great role as Ash, which people lo- so love him for, and his TV experience and combine them into, into this show. So it's almost like it's been in the making for, for you know, 35 years. And this is the culmination of Bruce's I kind of like the fact that Ash is not really up to the job. That was one of my favorite things. I mean, you have the opening sequence. He's putting on a freaking man girdle. If anybody else wrote that, I'd go, okay, we'll cut the man girdle scene for starters. And But, you know, you and Ivan writing that and wearing dentures, it's like at that point I really honestly, I'm like, where do I sign? Because now I'm interested. The guy, he's not really qualified. He never really was qualified. But now he's a wheezy geezer. And it's like, now really, he's old now you got to save the world? Yeah. Um, so I really like that challenge. He, he, he was, Ash was never a Navy SEAL, was never uh, FBI or CIA, no military background. We were, we were joking the other day. Stars gave us a note how Ash was handling his shotgun incorrectly. Like I, I think I swept it across somebody's face, and our response was like, "No, no, that's Ash. He doesn't have any training. He doesn't know that that's bad. He's unqualified for everything except Social Security." Yeah, exactly. And so, to me, to start to start that show here at that place to me is really exciting because you go, "I don't know if he's going to be able to pull this off." What'd you say? Yeah, we Ivan and I really wanted to tell that story visually. Um, of how Ash has aged and changed. And we were thinking at one point, it's like the future, folks. We're starting on what looks like the craters of the moon. The camera's soaring over these these uh, giant craters, <laughs> rocky formations. And then as the camera pulls back, we realize it's the dimples on your old ass. Oh. And that would be the introduction to your character. As you pull out of the crack of my plumber's ass. <laughs> yes. Well, I love that he once had to wear Depends going into battle, but that got dropped. Uh, but I always thought that was a funny beat. I, I think, guys, I think that should always be in the back of our mind. I think at some point, Ash should open the trunk to get something, and Pablo's like, wow, weird, what are those adult diapers doing there? Ash is like, don't worry about it. Shuts the trunk. We're just... Goes on. We're just waiting for product placement, that's all. That's, <laughs> yeah. We're waiting for the deal with Depends to close. Even in the first drafts, of the of the teleplay, Ivan and I had your your struggle with uh, is it called incontinence? Incontinence, yes. And it was an element <laughs> of the drama that Ash had to face. And I remember during some of the scarier times, he actually lost that battle and had to sneak, had to steal some. Sneak in the bathroom. And his boss caught him sneaking him from the shelves and changes rig. And the boss started to ball him out till he realized it was a terrible. Well, odor, and suddenly realized <laughs> the whole picture of what had happened, and said, "Get the fuck in that bathroom, you idiot! <laughs> Do your business. Come back out here." And that was I, funny. <laughs> and then I always remember putting in that note to Rob Ivan and I, "Dear Mr. Producer, here's an excellent excuse us, but here's an excellent advertising marketing opportunity, which we hope you'll take advantage of." Due to the growing age of the American public, <laughs> look, they're selling us that all the time. Well, I hope the writers and directors, guys, in the episodes going forward are brave enough to occasionally, uh, you know, confront 
life-threatening issues like that? Because I actually think it just makes Ash more normal. Because people always ask me, well, why is Ash popular? I think it's because he's you, the, the audience member watching. He's a lazy slob just like you watching. <laughs> Even Bruce isn't sure. <laughs> really? No. That's so funny. <laughs> but then, now, Rob, fine, it's, it's a great pie-in-the-eye uh, concept of have a TV show, but did you know where we would take this? Funnily enough, I thought that this would be perfect on Netflix because um, Evil Dead 1 and Evil Dead 2 were incredibly popular Netflix rentals. Um, we saw it in some magazine, their top 10 horror things. Um, so I thought when it went to the market that that would be the natural home for it. Uh, as it turned out, they weren't interested. Um, stars that had been Sam's in my home with um, Spartacus and another network both were very interested in it and um, pursued it very aggressively. And our uh, agent and lawyer um, had the ammunition to get us some controls to make sure that uh, it would be our vision and kind of unmeddled with going forward. That was so important. Yeah, Sam, wasn't that your fundamental question in these meetings of like what they would let us do and not do? Absolutely. We had to have absolute creative control. That was the deal because, and it wasn't, it really wasn't out of, I, I don't want to say it wasn't out of ego. It probably was. But what was really underlying that need is the fact that we had these fans for 35 years. We'd made one movie in a very particular way. We made the second movie as a continuation, even though the tone had changed, and a third movie. And these people had been on this journey, and we couldn't have some young, even intelligent executives giving us their vision of what it might be. We really had to put everything into what we felt those fans wanted from the continuation of this journey that we had been on with them. And they've been very faithful. And any compromise for good taste, for, for any number of good reasons, would have been wrong. So we really needed to be faithful to the fans. That's why we did this. We did this because they were pestering us. They were annoying us. You more than me, Bruce. <laughs> God bless them. They're, God bless their relentless souls. Go and drain the wastewater tank. Oh, anything for you, you sweet little muffin. <laughs> really get in there, okay? Conquer those clogs. Thank you, my delicious cookie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. What I try and explain to people also is that if this was on cable, Ash would fire up his chainsaw and go, let's go. And then you'd cut to a commercial because you couldn't show what we were about to show. Uh, broadcast, it would be butchered. Um, and so because this is a you know premium channel, we didn't have any there – there's no ratings restrictions either. So what fans need to realize, if they are whinging about paying for stars, it's the only way you get uncensored – content which is the thing that you're demanding so it's it's here it's only here under these circumstances that you can get what you get so i think we were fortunate that all the stars ha 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 aligned and allowed us to do it in this unencumbered fashion because what fans do love uh all the feedback i get they love the carnage and mayhem because they have to have that they have for some reason they're in their savage souls they have to have a certain amount of blood let per episode 
And I've seen this, um, the series play in New Zealand where it's on commercial TV and they insert commercials into it. <laughs> and you just go, oh, that's not the place for a commercial. What were they thinking? So it plays actually uncut, but the storytelling is not telling a little mini movie in between commercials. Uh, and when in commercials are inserted into this, you go, well, that's not a dramatic turn. It just kind of cuts off and you go, oh, a commercial here? So, um, it is, it's great to have been on any one of those broadcasters, stars, Netflix, that have no commercial interruptions. And Ivan and Sam, you guys, you know, writing in the TV format, and Rob, you know this all too well, you have to write for the commercials. Everyone has to understand why the, the guy, the villain goes, I've got your little brother, dun, 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 dun. It's because you have to, not for creative purposes, uh, you have to put in commercial breaks, and it's however many commercial breaks per half hour and however many commercial breaks per hour. So an hour isn't an hour. An hour is what, Rob, 42 minutes these days, 40 minutes? Yep. Half yep. hour is half of that. The rest is commercials. So as writers now, again, because it's stars and because it's uninterrupted, you can now write in that half hour, it's a full half hour. Right. It's almost like it's more it's more than that. It's like watching 45 minutes of television now. Only it's uninterrupted. And now you guys can write what works creatively, not because you have to create a commercial break after 5 pages. So it seems like it's much more liberating. And I think that's absolutely true. You just write. That's right. We aren't we're not a slave to the commercials. We let Ash's bad decisions lead the story. <laughs> and you know whoever's watching this right now, the viewer, you the viewer, you're probably because you're watching the commentary. You're probably watching it in such a format like a DVD or a specialty cable showing where it is also uninterrupted. And had you seen this and it had been designed for commercials and they had been removed, you'd have all these fake act breaks for no reason. And then the action would start up again, even though the commercials would be gone. It would be constructed in a very herky jerky format, very unnatural dramatic builds and pauses now that the commercials would have been removed. So I, I think it's really a good thing where we ended up. I agree. Yeah. So we want the viewer now to sit back and think how lucky they are. <laughs> We're seeing what they see. Okay. So well, we're stars, the lucky ones. <laughs> I know. stars jumped on board, but, you know, Rob, where were the short, where was the short list of where you could make it? Because people are like, why didn't you make it in Michigan? We're all from Michigan. Um, well, you know what? One of the things was it had to fit into a financial box. And... Along the way, there was a number agreed to, and really the only place we could shoot would have been New Zealand, South Africa, Eastern Europe, to get the the visual effects, the makeup effects, enough shooting time, and even at that, we didn't have enough shooting time, but um, in order to get all that, only those territories uh, and those exchange rates presented uh gave us the resources we needed to tell the story that we wanted to tell and uh, deliver the mayhem and gore that, that we knew that the audience wanted to see. So we ultimately ended up in New Zealand where I've done a lot of um, uh, production. Sam Raimi, after many years, made his, uh, his presence known and came down to New Zealand, although he had executive produced hundreds of hours of TV there. He finally... Um, uh, uh, arrived with his son, Lauren, who shot second unit on this episode, and they created uh, 
this entertainment experience in that environment. And it was a huge pleasure for all the Kiwis who I've worked with for many years to work with Sam on this project. It was, um, for many of them, the greatest uh, film TV experience they've they've ever had or will ever have. So, wow. It was good to get Sam down there. I, I that was just my, uh, I think it's now my fourth TV show down there. And it's funny to, for me to actually know crew members for 20 years down there. So, Funny thing is, New Zealand seems like an odd place to shoot offhand, but not after you know the experience that this, these crews had, because they were anywhere from, you know, King Kong, Avatar, Spartacus, Lord of the Rings. You know, these people have tremendous experience both in cinematography, prop building, special effects, uh, stunts. They pride themselves in stunts. The Kiwi stunt guys, you know, during the Herc days, they would never wear pads. They'd put a little thing on the floor and cover it with leaves. But you were kind of a pussy if you wore pads uh, to the Hercules stunt guys. And these are the guys that you do a take, and you knew he hurt himself. And he'd, he'd, get, he'd get up and he'd go, oh, yeah, yep, good to go, good to go. You want to go again? <laughs> uh, just I had to fight these guys my first—I went down there in 95 uh, to play Autolycus. And I kept telling these guys, okay, because they used to shoot in long, continuous takes. I went, guys, I'm just an actor. You guys are stunt guys. Let's go nice and easy. What do you say? And these guys, nice and easy, my ass. Uh, it, it was good. They, they really get into it down there. The, the craftsmen, they take a lot of pride in what they do. And they know that, they're, they, know that they've, they should actually be counted as one of the world's uh, top crew bases now. And, you know, Rob, when we started shooting, it was tough to get some of these people. Yeah, I just, uh, my kids were watching Mad Max the other night, and I went, oh, my God, that's like half the stunt team was on Mad Max. So they do go around the world working all the time. Yeah, they were great. Everybody seems to have a great experience coming back, all the actors and the writers from the sets here, and all the Kiwis have been really helpful. I know that we would love to have, have had this take place in Michigan, but we're very loyal to Michigan. We try to incorporate the thought and the places in Michigan, and even though... We're far away in New Zealand. That's right. That's all of our home. We're all from, from Michigan. We love bringing production dollars there and working with the artists and the technicians there that are absolutely first rate, uh, present company excluded, of course, the Detroit technician that's recording Bruce. But other than that, there's great sound, art, and brilliant talent in Detroit. I'd, I'd love to make more productions there. And, you know, fellas, uh, it, was kind of, uh, it was kind of old homecoming in a way. We did get a lot of familiar faces uh, to work on this. Rob, I know the, the two DPs had both worked with you, John Cavill, Dave Garbett, Dave who shot this first pilot. Um, so these were guys that you, you, cop, you, know, you put this crew together from a lot of people that you would work with, obviously. We did, and then another Michigander, Sam's longtime editor, um, Bob Morosky, came down and was the editor on, on this particular episode. He's from... Bad Axe, Michigan. Terrible name for a town. And Bob goes all the way back to Army of Darkness. He cut Army of Darkness, and he won a little thing called an Academy Award for uh, Hurt Locker. That's right. It's good to have Bob back on this. Big Bob. And then the great Joe LaDuca. Yes, sir. That's right. So Joe joined the board. And uh, I even think I'm going to throw out a very obscure one, too. Bridget Hoffman did a voice for Little Lori. Right here. And Bridget goes all the way back to... She was an actress in one of the original Evil Dead uh, poster photographs. 
and she also did a bunch of voice workers for the you know in the past. So she kind of goes all the way back. She's the Evil Dead girl, folks. It's reaching up out of the grave as the monster's hand is pulling her down into it on the poster art for Evil Dead, like Bruce is saying. But what you may not know is that it's actually Bruce's hand that's pulling her down. That's how low budget we were. Bruce, get in the hole, pull her down. <laughs> yeah, put your hand up there. Sure, I've got a free hand. That's method acting. No, that's that's not method acting. Oh, that's, that's being low budget. We don't have any money. Get in the hole. That too. Kill you. <laughs> And this is Bridget's voice for little Lori here. Hi. Hey. What the hell was that? And Rob, we got Lucy Lawless involved. How did we finally do that? Because, you know, she was working. She was in Salem. We stole her from that show. There's Rob on screen. He's the oh, guy yeah, I was by, looking up for the clouds like he's really cold. I did make the cut. I was very... Um, you made that Good scene, job, Rob. Rob. Good job, Rob. Actually, he did do good as his director. I don't mind telling you, he kind of sold the CGI effect that the storm is coming, some something awful is just over the horizon approaching. It's he he did good. You say well. Originally, when we were first making these films, Rob was a the original one of the original actors in our films. Remember, Rob? But we changed his name to Rip Tappert. Seeing this. You did. Yes, Rob starred in a Super 8 movie called The Happy Valley Kid that Bruce worked on, Ivan worked on, and I worked on, and Rob worked on, all at Michigan State University in 1977. And Rob's the one that said, hey, I want to make one of your movies, those movies you make. Okay. Yeah, but I want to star in it. If you want to star in it? You're an economics major, a fisheries and wildlife guy. Okay, if you want to put the money in, you can star in it. So we all pitched yeah, we said, in like you got $40? Do you have it, Rob? <laughs> yeah. He said, yeah. We said, okay, I guess you're in. I think that thing cost $700. That was the budget that I remember. Exactly. The Happy Valley Kid. That's but it made right. money. It made money on campus. It did. Yes, it did. We'd show the movie in the classrooms. We'd take out ads in the school newspaper. We'd rent it, the classrooms from the theater, I mean from the university, and kids would come. And we'd bring up our Super 8 projectors and our speaker systems and amplifiers, string the wire, and have shows and charge admission. And I couldn't believe it because we'd have a cigar box. And at the end of these weekends, we'd have like 220 bucks to split between Rob, Ivan, and myself. Oh, yeah, Bruce, we'd never cut you in. Sorry about yeah, that. Yeah, no, that's all right, um, Sam. I came up on weekends to help. That's all right. Yeah, why was there only $80 in it when I came? Oh, well. Uh, marketing costs. I don't know what uh, happened. Distribution fees. Extra money. Uh, uh, it could have been a clerical error. I see. You got the wrong guy. But I believe you guys grossed fifty six hundred dollars. Is that true, Rob? Yeah. Yeah. Probably. And then you made its murder, and then that bomb. That's where I was last yeah. Time. So boy, it, it was a good promise. example of the successes and failures early on, and even in the Super Eight days. It's so funny because Happy Like Kid cost seven hundred, but once we made that big amount of money, I remember we said we're going to spend two thousand dollars on the next Super Eight movie. That's right. It was a giant production. Yeah, two thousand dollars. It was so awful. It's, it's murder was the biggest at, of its time of the Super Eight amateur movies. It was a whale. It was like uh, uh, an hour long. The first <laughs> version, maybe an hour. It was the heaven's gate half, of Super Eight movies. <laughs> but it did do something. It had a scare in it. And when we sat with the, the two other people in the theater, I used to wait until we got to the guy attacking the car with the sledgehammer for the scare. And um, Well, the scare was somebody he jumped out. Uh, he was in the back seat waiting, right? And he grabbed, right. 
You, you expected him to be outside the car, though. It was a, us experimenting with misdirection and building suspense and delivering a break point where the audience would jump. You're right. And that scare gave way, was the birth, uh, led, led, the, uh, led us to many other scares over the, day, over the years. It got our juices flowing. We thought, hmm. We like that. We, we, like, like, we like this. It was as good as a laugh, even better. When they had jumped and screamed at that moment. Yeah. Well, aren't horror films rare in that they're, they're the, one of the few genres that grabs an audience by the hair right from the beginning and drags them through the movie? Most other you know, uh, film formats are kind of polite. Hey, I hope you like my movie. You know, and horror is like, hey, just shut up. Pay attention because there's some hurt coming. You're going to be punished. You're going to be punished for 90 minutes. And in this case, 40 minutes. Sam, how did you whittle this down to 40 minutes? Well, the script that we turned in was only uh, 50. Uh, Ivan, how long was the draft that we turned in? It was about 55 pages, roughly. This draft. Mm. Was it, Rob? No, I don't think it was even that long. I, I thought it was 30 so Yeah, I, I think, yeah, I thought it was 42 or 30. Yeah. So it wasn't hard um, to whittle it down. Bob Morosky did the editing. He's excellent at pace. And um, I don't think we lost any scenes, actually, did we? Mm. Just tighten uh, them up. Oh, we did. The cupcake scene. Oh, you're right. There was a scene with Pablo and, and Kelly establishing their relationship. And we realized the first episode doesn't really want to leave Bruce this long to learn about the other characters. They'll develop as uh, in Bruce's wake, as uh, like the wake that a whale makes as he moves uh, through the ocean. And um, they're the little fish. And they're growing, and they're becoming more and more important. Now, these little fish, we had to find we had to find new actors. I enjoyed that process. Right. Of finding Ray Santiago and Dana DiLorenzo, Jill Marie Jones. We knew Lucy, but it was time to initiate these new actors. That was kind of fun. Yeah, Ray was awesome. I thought when we auditioned him in Los Angeles, uh, I think it was on uh, Lantana Center, on Olympic Boulevard that morning, I really thought he was so real and so original, and he really had a lot of spirit. I, I believe that he believed in you, Bruce. Mm-hmm. There was a lot of chemistry. Yeah. Yes, there was a lot of innocence, too, I thought. He had this sort of almost little boyish innocence to him, which was great because Ash is so kind of, you know, bitter party of one. He was like a good antidote. Yeah, it's a, it's a really cool combination. You guys could not be so any more different. Right. About, you know, physically with his lithe frame and your body, Bruce. Uh-huh. And how young he is. And, well, you know, and yeah. on and on. Oh, I, can I know. <laughs> Excuse but, me just uh, a second. Uh, <laughs> I have to cough. I'm too old. <laughs> there, I'm okay now. But he's uh, just got the spirit of hope and goodness in him. And he sees in you the thing we all see, the thing you play so beautifully you really hide the goodness in you and the heroics and you play it on the surface as the selfish person. So when he gets that glimpse, we go, yes, that's the thing I've been seeing too. And he can recognize he's one of the few characters, I guess Dana's character Kelly does to a lesser degree, but he really, it inspires him is the best I could say. And he plays it so beautifully. Yeah. And Dana had, she, she had different challenges. Yes, she did. I wasn't in Los Angeles. I was seeing people on tape and um, I have to I'll be honest, when I saw um, 
both Dana and Ray, they weren't the people that I automatically responded to and um, ultimately trusted Sam and uh, his feelings towards why they were the best characters. But then now in hindsight, you go, oh, Dana and Ray were absolutely the right casting choices of everyone we saw. And I can't imagine who else could have delivered um, the performances and the comedy that we needed these characters to deliver over the course of the season. They're just um, great workmates, great people to be with. And there's other factors, you know, as you guys know, that are they crazy? That's one thing. Are <laughs> they, uh, can they put up, can they put up with the hours? Uh, can they put up with the can they makeup? Put up with can your they, bullshit. With my bullshit. Can they, can, you know, we're shooting in New Zealand in the winter. It's These studios are cold and drafty. And, um, you know, what are they like under those conditions? You know, Ray, when he first got splattered, because Sam must initiate the new actors. It must be him personally off camera with whatever he's going to use to hit him. But he's got to do it. And Ray, I think, as I recall, just burst into hysterical laughter. When it hit him, and when I thought, okay, we're going to be okay with him because he thinks this is hilarious. Yeah. Other actors would go, oh, give me a towel. <laughs> give me a towel. I know. You know, robe, where's my robe and slippers? And, you know, they'd be, it'd be a big redo. And Ray just was, he, he's like, oh my God, that's what it feels like. Yeah. He didn't know what it really would feel like. Yep. And Dana was great about it too. And so was Jill. Yeah. You know, and Jill went through a long sequence with you, Sam, right at the beginning. She started the show off with you, working with a long sequence together. She was so physically, she would do it again and again. She reminded me of you, Bruce. You know, take the fall again, Jill. Take the fall again. Take the fall again, Jill. Take the fall again. And um, she, she's always like, I'm going to get it even better this time. I'm going to get it better. Never no, she's a like, real trooper. And boy, she pops. You know, yeah. uh, some actors have a real mug. And, and she's she just goes gaboing when you see her. And thankfully, um, she's got some good stuff coming up in the season. So yeah, uh, I, I think we kind of lucked out. I hate that word luck, but I'm really grateful we got this group of actors, Lucy, who's just a complete pro, and now these newcomers seem like they're going to be ready to dance as well. She's a complete pro, and she's got the sense of humor of a novice. You know, she's yeah. really game to try anything to make it work, and it's filled with ideas. She's very exciting to work with on the set, although I actually only got to work with her one day uh, in this pilot, but... Uh, that was a cool experience for me. You guys say lucky to get these guys, but I do recall that you guys put them through the motions and said, you're going to need to be physically abused. And they said, oh, well, what do you mean? And you said, we're going to hold you upside down and jerk you around and you're going to be covered in latex. And they said, okay, I'm okay with that. So and what that was, was very fun task. for me was to see them finally go to the New York Comic Con, Sam, when we went there to introduce it to the savages. And they... They got to finally see what the hell we've always been talking about as the savages' reactions yeah. to them. And I think, uh, thankfully, they've been embraced by the fans because uh, fans always pick their favorites, you know? Yeah. Hey, Bruce, when we were at that New York convention, I really sensed like they had been through kind of like a horror boot camp because— <laughs> They had put in the hours. They'd been splattered with blood. They took the falls. They were hooked on wires. They put, put the contacts in, the makeup. They had to put weird things in their mouth. I don't want to spoil the episodes to come, but um, they worked hard to make it happen. <laughs> they and did. And they didn't complain. And, no. You know, and they suffered silently. And so I felt when they would go up, when they came on that, that stage, 
I really felt some deserved pride that they had. Uh, just the tiniest bit, but it was exciting to see. Now we'll see how they hold up season two, whether they become impossible or not. Luce and I will slap those punks around. The funny thing is, Rob, you enlisted me to go hang out with Lucy early on when she got the Xena role to try and teach her how to be a good TV star. Well, in my crabby days on this set, Lucy was the one who who calmed me down. So I'm very grateful for her to be a, a calming influence on the show. Yes, hit your marks, say your lines, go home, take a shower. Yeah, which means a lot in television. you got to kind of do it. Yep. To get the amount of material, that's another last thing I will say about the advantage of television. The first three movies generated, over 30 years, generated four and a half hours worth of material. One season of Ash vs. Evil Dead is five hours. So every season, they're going to get five new hours. And hopefully, we'll go for as many seasons as they'll let us go. Yeah, wouldn't that be fun? How many, Rob? How many seasons? As many as you can handle, Bruce. Guess, guess it right now. Uh, Let's see how prophetic you are. Five. Five? Yeah. That's a lot. Well, look how much punishment you're taking on the screen. Hope, yeah, well... Hopefully you can continue to do that for years and years. <laughs> My stunt guy, uh, Rice Show, great stunt guy, very, very busy man. He's going to be a very busy man. He is. And I'm going to be right there cheering him on the whole way. Rice Show, you nailed that fall, buddy. I'm going to make you look good when I get up into the shot. He calls me his. He calls me his dialogue double. <laughs> That's so, great. Not that I use stunts at all. His dialogue. Dina was so good in this scene. She really learned the choreography and she worked the moves again and again to really get it down like a dance routine, like a tap dance routine. She was so precise. I was really impressed working with her on this. And it was great. It was her first uh, bit at harnesses too. Now, she, Sam, this the the woman Sean. We worked with her before. Rob. She was the Crazy old lady at the beginning of Ash of uh, Evil Dead the remake in 2013. Remake, yep, in the basement when they're burning the little school so girl. She's, she's played uh, good creepy characters before. We like that lady. So. Yeah, she's awesome. Now Ray gets the big payoff here, which I think is very befitting of the you know potential sidekick possibilities. That's my favorite thing in the whole series. Yeah, it's pretty ridiculous, <laughs> pretty over the top. And uh, I hope there's there's room for more of that ridiculousness as the episodes continue. Yeah. Because Ash flying through the air getting his chainsaw, man. It can't get any better. I hope we keep up with the retro music, too. Yeah, well, that's part of the what we like, the old Michigan rock bands. It fits Seems so to good. inspire us. Yeah, and those old bands are going to be very happy. Get a couple grand here and there. Yeah. Bob Morosky and I and Ivan were going to put this song on the end of Army of Darkness. Do you guys know that? No. Couldn't, couldn't afford it. And... Didn't you try to put it in Spider-Man or something, Sam? It was in a temp, oh. temp mix of Spider-Man, yep. But we didn't really try and use it in the finish. Speaking before about Dana, she really, I'm really impressed how she can take a punch, take a fall. And I just learned that she's from Youngstown, Ohio, which... Makes sense. It's like a little mafia there. She fits right in to, to that tough neighborhood. Right, because you worked down there, right, Evan? Yep. Long time ago. That's why we wrote Army of Darkness. We wrote Army of Darkness. We wrote a little bit of Dark Man. Well, gentlemen, it's been a pleasure speaking with you about this uh, ridiculous series that came to be. A little insight into how it happened. Take a ride to the Thank you for joining us, guys. Thanks. We appreciate you watching the Evil Dead movies. 
and your support of the series throughout the years and uh, your insistence that we make another one. And that's, that's what this is. That's why we're all here today. Here's to four more seasons. Bye, everyone. Goodbye. Bye-bye. Take a ride to the land inside of your mind. But please realize you'll probably be surprised.